Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today we are talking to Sean Rohrer of 6131 Records about Civ's 1995 album Set Your Goals. Super excited to chat with my good friend Sean. I've known Sean for a long time now and my band Late Bloomer is signed to his label. Shout out Joey Cahill as well. Sean comes super prepared and is ready to discuss all things Civ, which is great since Civ is not really spoken about in the same respect as Gorilla Biscuits when it's essentially the same band and the next logical step in their sound. Before we head into the chat, I gotta add, make sure you check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. If you subscribe, you can get next week's episode right now. Uh, You can also get this episode a week early, but you would only know that if you are a time traveler. If you hear any background noise, just know it's Sean's partner teaching Zoom school in the next room. Nothing distracting, just felt like we needed to mention it. So, on to the episode! Are you vegan, or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it. Hi, Sean. How's it going? It's good. It's good. I'm, you know, making, making do with what we got going on. <laughs> um, so, okay. So today you wanted to talk about Civ's record, Set Your Goals, from the year 1995. Yeah, the so, greatest record ever made. You make these bold proclamations. <laughs> um, I think when you told me that initially, I was like, ah, I don't know about that. But I will say, with revisiting this record, and after the first track, um, i close to agree with I'll say I agree with you, for sake of conversation. It's right. a lot better than I remember. Is we got to disagree so we can argue. <laughs> um, I, I, I can't say that it's like the best, but it's a lot better than I remembered it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the story of the record. I mean, I think that's the story of, of this band is that they, it was the going for it band. And I think it was the, you know, it seems like for, for, I mean, it's essentially Gorilla Biscuits, you know, it's like, you know, by all accounts, Walter wrote everything, especially for this first record. I think he kind of, he, he wasn't involved on anything after this first record. Um, but, you know, it's like, he, I mean, he's credited as a producer on the record, but you know, there's there's early footage of them playing or photos of them playing where he's playing guitar. Um, you know, the the story goes that he wasn't able to be in the band officially because of his deal for Quicksand, and so the fact that Quicksand was signed to Island, and 
you know, he was kind of focusing on that. I think that there was some, you know, just label drama or whatever, you know, politics at, at play. And so he's credited as a producer. I, I was actually, I meant to look up the songwriting credits to see if, if they're credited to him or if, you know, he, he just let the guys have it, but like, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's grill biscuits. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, you know, Sammy Siegler playing drums, which isn't, you know, wasn't in grill biscuits, but I mean, is as good a drummer, if not better than Luke, I, I would say probably a better drummer than Luke. Um, you know, it's Arthur from Gorilla Biscuits playing bass and Siv obviously singing. And if you, you know, if you saw that on stage with Walter playing guitar, you'd be like, well, this is Gorilla Biscuits, you know? And so um, I think a lot of the songs, and I mean, again, the kind of folklore around this record is that a lot of the songs are songs that he had written or intended to be kind of a subsequent Gorilla Biscuits record that never was. And so, you know, I think that's really interesting. I mean, when I got into this record, it was, you know, like you said, it came out in 95. I mean, Grove Biscuits broke up in, I think, 92. So, you know, for me, it's like when I thought about, like, when I got in, I mean, Grove Biscuits is one of the first hard, hardcore or punk records I got into. I mean, it was that and Minor Threat were like the first punk stuff I got into. And, and that would have been about 95, um, maybe late 94. And, um, and I mean, to me, those bands like Minor Threat and Grove Biscuits were you know, colleagues, which obviously they weren't. And, um, and I mean, they existed, you know, almost a decade apart, uh, you know, close to it. But then it's like the fact that like, to me, they just were so far in the past, you know, it was like, they were artifacts. And so when I first encountered Siv, I honestly, I can't remember, but I don't know that I would have necessarily put it together that Siv was the guys from Gorilla Biscuits, you know, or, or Judge or whatever else too. And, you know, side by side and whatever. Um, so I, I don't know that I would have known that. I don't think I knew that. And I probably wouldn't even have been familiar with what judge or side by side was to be fair, but also like, um, I, I didn't have a context to understand that like this was, you know, I mean, this record came out in 95, probably got made in 94. It's two years after Grill Biscuits broke up. It's like, that's a normal time between records. You know, it's like, that's yeah. not it's not so far apart that it's like, you can't start to see that lineage between the two. So I just think that, yeah, there's a lot, I mean, we obviously we'll dig in, but like, there's a lot of sort of, at least for me, there was a lot of kind of revision in my understanding of kind of what this, what this record is in its place in history comparative to other New York hardcore stuff. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a product of its time, but it's also just like, I think if people revisit it, it's, truly phenomenal and i think it really is kind of like i mean because it's it's sort of the last walter hardcore record you know what i mean unless you kind of start to look at some of the more recent stuff like vanishing light or, or vanishing life or um you know stuff that he's done like that but like i mean for the most part this is kind of the last hardcore record he made and i think it's kind of like there's a lot about it that's sort of like it's the best he's ever going to do so close that chapter and move on you know <laughs> Have you been to any like the Gorilla Biscuits reunion shows? Yeah. So um, I was, I saw them. So I was too young to see them when they were a band originally. By all accounts, they were kind of an awful band live. Like everyone I knew that saw them back in the day was like, that saw reunions were like, yeah, now they know how to play their instruments. <laughs> like they weren't, they weren't very good back in the day, apparently. And, um, you know, and so it's, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, I saw, I saw the first batch of reunions. Um, I mean, they came to Richmond and I saw them and then, um, 
And then I saw, I've seen them at least one other time. I saw them at This Is Hardcore, the kind of notorious one where he says the like, yeah, vaguely all lives matter thing. Um, yeah. And then, um, which, Cat, I mean, I, to to be clear, he didn't say all eyes matter. <laughs> yeah, I think um, in in a sort of hindsight and kind of like the world we live in today, even with pandemic taken out of it, it seems so like quaint. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really any even a big issue at the time. I mean, people acted like it was, yeah. but like in hindsight now, in hindsight and in a time that you know, it's like I guess trump it's it's sort of like what are we talking about like yeah like he's I mean, I think a it's... lifetime of you know kind of i think i think there's a way that it's like sometimes i don't know how engaged he is with like modern politics and the parlance of our time but right it's sort of like it doesn't excuse him for kind of not knowing that that's a thing but you also do have to take into consideration i guess like his history is like a person it's it's complicated but i don't think it was like the biggest issue and i mean and he's you know I, i'm not defending him saying that because i think yeah. it was, i think it was miss i think he i think he put his foot in his mouth and i think he 100%. said that he shouldn't have said yeah um but i think you're right i mean i think it's hard to i think it's hard to to hold people who are you know pushing 50 to the standards of people who live on the internet yeah. of like knowing what the vernacular of you know politics are in 2019 2020 whatever that was 2018 whatever that was um and that doesn't excuse it and i and i think it's important that you are called on those things and and apologize when you make mistakes but i think we do have to give a little bit of a like allowance for people to make mistakes and apologize for them and recognize their sort of intent you know and and i mean you're talking about a band that was writing songs about, you know, not wanting white power people at their shows at a time when, you know, I mean, in the eighties, that was like, I mean, when I started going to shows in the nineties in Florida, it was like, you didn't go to a show. There wasn't people who were white power there. I mean, every, every show there was people who were white power there. So like, um, and, and proudly, I mean, they were displaying it, you know? So it's, I think it's just, you come from a different era, you know? And it's like, you just don't see that anymore. Like you don't see people, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I was at a show. I mean, it's been 10 years at least since I was at a show and there was anybody that was remotely like displaying any sort of that kind of thing. You know? Yeah, it's been a while for me. I think uh, by the time I had come around, um, I feel like they had moved on to dressing like they were in a clockwork orange, but they <laughs> would throw in a few, uh, you know, Sig Heils during, yeah. you know, a street punk set. But it's also like, were they doing it ironically or were they not? But also what's the Venn diagram there? So, totally. you know, it's sort of like, I don't want to be like, you know, well, that guy might've been doing it ironically. This guy might've been, and, you know, it wasn't as, I don't think it was a, a, as overt by the time I came around uh, in punk, you know, yeah. but it was, it was still there. But anyway, I mean, I think that like the, yeah, I mean, so anyway, so I, yeah, I saw the reunions. I thought they were good. Um, they actually covered Civ at, at at least the Richmond show. I don't know if they did it at the reunion and at, this is hardcore. They probably did because I think it's just part of their set. They did do something. Um, and yeah, I mean, I saw Civ too. I mean, I saw him. I, I, I sent you a picture the other day of, of my ticket stub from seeing Civ open for the Toadies mm. um, in 96. It was March of 96. I was 16. I'll, I'll talk about my age. I'm not afraid. Um, and, 
Yeah. And so, I mean, I remember at that show, it's funny because I remember that so vividly, like, because they were on a major. So the, the approach was like very major centric. And so the record store, the little kind of punk record store that I grew up going to in Fort Myers uh, called Offbeat Records, shout out Offbeat. Um, they're not around anymore. They haven't been up store for 25 years, but um, the, um, yeah, they, I mean, they had like an in-store, you know, they had like a, like a, a signing, you know, and it was like, mm -hmm. I think it was one of those things where the people who ran that store were smart enough and, and old enough to recognize like, hey, these are guys from bands that people care about, you know, and um, it's funny because the signing was actually just, I think it was Arthur and Charlie. I don't, I mean, I know for a fact Siv wasn't there, but it was Charlie and one of the other guys at the signing and they had the like, you know, 12 by 12 flats. Mm -hmm. I still have it of like, you know, it's just like an orange background with the Civ logo and they like signed it and the other side is the album cover, you know, and like, um, you know, it's just, they didn't play or anything. They just signed stuff, which is so weird, you know, it's like such a weird thing. And then, um, and then they played later that night, opening for the Toadies. I mean, they did that whole tour opening for the Toadies. And I mean, that was at the peak of the Toadies, like whatever that, you know, Possum Kingdom or whatever their song was like, um, you know, they were, I mean, they were like the biggest band in alt rock that week, you know? And so, yeah. um, so it was like, you know, it was just kind of like a weird thing to see them. And, and again, like, I think I'm just trying, you know, it's a little bit hard to remember like that long ago, but I just remember thinking like, I, I think I had put together that Siv was in Gorilla Biscuits, but I don't think I would have understood that like even Arthur was in Gorilla Biscuits or that the guy, other guys were in, you know, the bands they were in. I, I wouldn't have even known about those bands. Yeah, I um, think what Sammy came in at the tail end of Gorilla Biscuits uh, was that is that correct? I mean, I know he played in Civ, but yeah. I thought he was like kind of like replaced Luke near the end. He may have. He may have done when some they were like growing them. their hair out and stuff. Yeah, he may have. He may have done. I mean, I know they did like a European tour in '92. I think was the kind of end of it. I don't honestly. I'm not a like nerd for that stuff the way some yeah. people are. So like, I, I'm sort of beholden to what who played on records you know mm -hmm. and i know he didn't ever record with them but um yeah i mean you know i i would imagine that he i think he did do that you know um but yeah i mean and you know i would have i had no context for what side by side was or i had no context for youth of today you know yeah um i just it's just not stuff that i had encountered yet and um and to be fair not stuff i really like i mean i to even now like side by side it's like i mean i can take it or leave it um which i know is controversial um and i mean youth of today like i'm not the biggest youth of today fan i think you know later era youth of today is way better than early youth of today which is again controversial um we're not i mean I, we can uh buy <laughs> i mean we're not in this lens great disengage is great you know but um i don't really love break down the walls you know like it's it's you know i don't oh, love judge sure. like i'm not i'm just not that i like that's not that was not my my thing you know i wasn't for a long time and then it just kind of kept there kept being like things i think like youths of today and gorilla biscuits were kind of like something because i i feel like there was a divide for me like it was it was almost like a punk or hardcore kind of thing uh you know in in i think it was like kind of faster punk at the time there was still like essentially hardcore bands but there was like just like the rev divide for me now i'm like all in but it took me like longer in my development to really like appreciate that stuff so i can i can see where people don't you know, may i think you separate it in a different way than what i'm talking about um yeah because to me it's like I mean, <laughs> gorilla biscuits 
Yeah, I mean, Gorilla Biscuits is not that. And I mean, I think that they, you know, I, I like what you were talking about before we started recording, but like, I just listened to that Where It Went podcast with Walter and Luke and Arthur. And it's like, I mean, they kind of said that. They're like, we purposely, Gorilla Biscuits purposely was a little bit of the antithesis of what was happening in New York hardcore at the time. You know, that they were sort of the fun band. They wanted to be the, the you know, and he, I think Walter on that podcast said something like, you know, we wanted to take the positivity of seven seconds and like out posse them, you yeah. know, and it's just like be the most positive, the most kind of upbeat, the most, you know, and I think that that melodicism that, that started in Grill Biscuits carries into Civ dramatically. I mean, to the point where it's, you know, there's songs on this record that you could argue are not even hardcore songs. Um, and, you know, I think that that sort of starts him, especially as a musician on that trajectory of like melodicism as a, as a root of what he does. And I think that's just different. I think that's where it sets it apart is that, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I love Shelter. I'm like a massive Shelter fan, but I don't love Youth of Today as much. And so I think that that sort of speaks to where, to me, the divide is, is less about like, oh, it's Rev stuff versus other stuff. But it's more of like, I like when all those guys actually started learning how to write songs. You know, I, like, I mainly agree. Like, I feel like I'm more drawn to, I guess, I, I feel like people will kind of put these like almost like they're oddball bands or almost just like bands that sort of made a point to kind of stand out from the rest. Like, I feel like to me, Dag Nasty felt that way. Like, oh, yeah, you know, they sure. kind of like didn't, you know, pushed against the Discord model, even though they have stuff on Discord. But it's like in like later government issue, I like um, like bands that weren't completely satisfied with just doing like, you know, kind of the co like kind of codified youth crew or whatever kind of thing was going on at the time, because there's a lot of SST is that way. And then some of the things that kind of came out of DC and kind of pushed against it, I feel like Jawbox, uh, those tend to be things I'm like more drawn to than well, in side by side or something. I mean, you know, like side by side, what they were like 15, 16 years old. It's like yeah. cool. I mean, it's cool. Like, I respect yeah. it. I mean, kudos to them. Like, they made records that people still care about 30 years later, you know, 40 years later almost, you know, that like are they made when they were teenagers. I mean, is there anything that any of us did when we were 15 that we would hold up and say, hey, people are going to care about this in 40 years? Like, it's just not going to happen. So, kudos to them. I respect it. It's just not something I've ever found to resonate with me in the same way, because I think, again, I kind of missed the boat, you know, like as a, as a, you know, guy in my forties, I'm not going to revisit side by side and find a lot in it. I think minor threat being the other band with grill biscuits that I got into, like, I love, I love, I mean, I think that the, the I think, I mean, their entire discography, I think is flawless. Perfect. The early stuff is great. It's phenomenal. It's some of the best hardcore songs ever written. But if I'm gonna like choose to listen to like four or five minor threat songs, it's gonna be the end. It's gonna be the ending stuff. It's gonna be like the last, you know, salad days and and you know, out of step. I mean, it's that. I'm not gonna listen to the seven inch songs first um, unless I'm just trying to rage, you know. And so it's like I just think that that and and I mean, and that's what you saw Brian Baker carry over into Dag Nasty, right? Is like this melodicism that starts creeping in. And you see come out of their post minor threat bands, you know, embrace or, or whatever. And so, um, I mean, I think it's the same thing here. You know, it's like, I love the origin point, but when they kind of figure it out a little bit more, it gets so much better, you know? And I, and I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I just think that these, these, I mean, I think especially in the case of Walter, I mean, he is the most, 
prolific. I mean, name, name any other musician of any genre that has done as many bands as he has that have all kind of had their own unique style or sound or whatever and that people care about and are successful. I mean, there's just no one. There's no yeah. one. I was going to say Robert Pollard, but they all sound like Robert Pollard. So Right. I mean, it's like, like, like with, with Walter, it's like no one's as prolific probably for a good reason than Pollard. But um, with Walter, it's like they're different things, like, you know, yeah. different genres and he's good at all of them. <laughs> You know, yeah. and I mean, yeah. and, and also is still making records that are great. Like, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I know that it's a little bit controversial, but I think that newest quicksand record's phenomenal. You know, I loved it. like, I think that, I mean, like I, I mentioned Vanishing Life, like we got to see them and it's like, I mean, it, it's, it's good. Like it's, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily put it in my top five of, you know, Walter performances I've seen or, you know, bands that, I, that, that he's done, but it's like, it enters into the canon pretty well, you know? And I mean, Dead Heavens is like not necessarily my thing, but like, it's good for what it is. Like, I, you know, at the time I thought Walking Concert was kind of boring. I saw them and I thought they were kind of boring, but like, um, I think when I revisit that record, I understand it a little bit better now. And I, and I think it's good. Again, it's not my favorite of his stuff, but it's still pretty good. I mean, dude's done a lot of really phenomenal bands. And I think if you consider Civ, which I think you have to, to be a Walter band, at least this record um it's i think is as deserving of anything as you know being in kind of the top tier of his canon as anything you know yeah i think the in the kind of reason i brought up like the reunions um because i wondered like how much they incorporated you said they did do a civ cover because mm -hmm. I, I always like like when i think of bands doing reunions i always feel like they go they go back to like the previous band and then i'm always like but i like the band you did after that I guess you're kind of retreating from you know so it's even like for I guess like Jawbreaker Jets to Brazil it's like I, I love Jets Brazil a lot and I'm like I wish there was a way to incorporate that in some and I don't know if there is with that specifically but it's like you know I would like to hear Civ you know and Gorilla Biscuits. Uh, Civ has done reunions I mean Civ has played they've done I know of at least two reunions they've played kind of since Gorilla Biscuits has been doing reunions. So, um, I mean, I think Arthur just didn't play bass for a long time. I mean, the story was that when they did that first Gorilla Biscuits reunion, he hadn't played bass in like 10 years or something. So um, he basically had to relearn how to play bass. I mean, you know, again, I'm not, that's a little bit of folklore. So who knows if that's true, but um, you know, I just think that, I mean, cause I remember all his bass gear was all like Paul Frank and supposedly Paul Frank was like, like the human Paul Frank, uh, like donated a bunch of like his gear to him. So he had like gear and that's why it's all branded with Paul Frank stuff, which is like really funny, you know? And like, yeah. um, but I mean, I think it's just, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to sort of separate those two bands from each other in my mind. And I think yeah, it's hard. I'm to even trying, I feel like in the conversation, it's like, I want to give Civ its own due you know, uh, as a band, even in trying to separate it from Walter, trying to separate it from Gorilla Biscuits, and it, it's hard, but I think it's like with revisiting this record, like I said at the top, I feel like I have a lot more appreciation. I, I know you wanted me to probably like fight you on it some, and there's probably things I know we'll disagree on, um, but you it- You did text it, me and tell me that you thought it was a swing record sped up. 
<laughs> it is though. Not but, that at all. <laughs> well, the 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 hit songs and and I wonder when you were saying like I wonder how much he wrote um, potentially the whole thing. It does have him, Walter listed as songwriter. It just says like songwriter, but it doesn't specifically say what. So I assume the whole record. But on like all music, it says there's specific songs that are credited to Walter. But I don't know if that's just a mistake on the crediting. Yeah, I'd be interested. I mean, I, I meant to pull the record. I, I have the LP and I meant to pull it out and look at the credits on it. But I mean, is it is it listed as such? Like, is it listed that there's certain songs he wrote on and certain songs he didn't or? It, it really, it had it listed that he had helped write uh, Set Your Goals and Can't Wait One Minute More, but then it didn't credit like the rest. So I'm like, oh, okay, so the two like swing revival songs, are you saying Walter only wrote those? Which I don't, <laughs> I don't, I think if he had a hand in it, he either wrote the whole thing or wrote the whole thing with like the band you know however that ended up again i I think the folklore is he wrote the record i mean and and just knowing how i mean again prior to even listening to that girl biscuits podcast last week but like even my sense of it now like or you know before that my sense of it was that you know i mean that's kind of the, the 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 lore around walter sings the hits even is like you know he wrote the record and then, you know, talking about Start Today, he wrote the record and then wrote the vocals and wrote the lyrics. I mean, they even say that on that podcast. They're like, yeah, he wrote everything. Like, it's, it's Walter's baby, you know? And so I find it hard to believe that given that context, they would make this record two years later and two or three years later and, uh, you know, it'd be something so dramatically different, you know, that, that like... Um, you know, that all of a sudden he's sort of is like a member of the band and not like, there just isn't a Walter band where he's not the, the creative force. Yeah. There's not a band he's in that I don't know of that I know of that he's not the creative force, you know, anyone, it wasn't the Civ episode. So I think he seemed a little like cagey as to like what the connection was. Cause there, there, well, there were like, what songs, uh, I think the question they asked on where it went was like, what songs maybe were already like Gorilla Biscuit songs that just got turned into Civ songs. And I think the only one they really pointed to was like Boring Summer. Oh, is there a Civ episode for that? Like a Civ? No, I'm just, I'm just saying like when they kind of asked questions about Civ, he seemed like yeah. he was like, I don't want to say cagey, but it was kind of like, it's like he doesn't want to insert himself too much. Into, well, I think that's exactly it. I mean, I think yeah. the fact that the band is called Civ, right? Like, <laughs> is is it almost feels like it's walter trying to kind of like i mean because there had to be you know i mean think about like the context like the context is walter breaks up grill biscuits or you know however grill biscuits breaks up um and and he starts this new band with you know tom i mean and it kind of goes through some iterations it's world's fastest car or whatever and then you know, he does Moondog and, you know, he's got some kind of things and then he does, he does Quicksand and it's like, I guess maybe World's Fastest Cars after Quicksand, but like, um, you know, it's like he, he starts this new band with Tom Capone who had been in Beyond and, and was in Shelter at one point. And then, you know, like Sergio Vega and yeah. Alan Cage from Burn and it's like, they kind of take off. I mean, they, you know, I mean, Slip had its moment and it was like on MTV and, you know, it was all that. And so it's like, I can only imagine that there's some, 
tension or animosity or, you know, something even just like sort of like feeling left behind of like these guys that he had grown up with, that he had poured all of his creative energy into them being his like click all of a sudden are totally sidelined on his success. And so I do kind of, I mean, again, and this is maybe just me, you know, creating a, a fan fiction narrative, but it does feel like there's a little bit of like him trying to kind of like give his buddies that hadn't had that access, hadn't had that. I mean, cause I think simultaneously you're seeing shelter, you know, get a deal at Roadrunner and mantras happening. I mean, that's kind of in the same time frame. Um, you know, like you're seeing this, these, like there's certain guys in this crew that are like getting, you know, big money contracts essentially, and kind of getting the kind of, you know, big label approach. And it does feel a little bit like him kind of gifting Civ particularly, but like the other guys an opportunity to like do a thing that could get the attention, you know? Yeah. And, um, I mean, to call the project Civ, like it's interesting when you think about it, like if, if, okay, if we assume that it's accurate that Walter wrote everything, and he wrote all the lyrics and he wrote everything, but then he calls the project Civ, which essentially would suggest that it's Civ's solo project with a backing band. Um, that's weird, right? Like that's kind yeah. of a weird, that's a yeah. weird thing, you know? And so um, I do think there's a little bit of that kind of like, I'm gonna help my brother out, you know? Um, and again, maybe that's just, a narrative that I've created in my head, but it does feel like that holds true to kind of the way things played out, you know? Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I, I think it's funny, like just anecdotal, anecdotal, yeah, I'm not even going to try and say that word. Uh, <laughs> but like, I remember working like at a vet clinic and one of the, one of the veterinarians there like asked me like, do you like the band CIV? Uh, and I was like, what? Like, and he's like, you know, you know, they did the, wait one minute more and I was like Siv like but it's like he never he never knew them outside of just the context of like like he was just like a baseball jock you know <laughs> like it was yeah. just like he was just like yeah I remember that because just trying to connect with me on like something that was like remotely punk that he had heard so it's like they had Siv had this moment um I guess kind of after the point you're talking about where they did have like a smaller like radio success and everything and so they were opened up to like a different world than you know gorilla biscuits ever were but that's like a weird bubble to be in you know it's also just timing i mean the in, in 89 or whatever when start today came out bands that sounded like punk bands weren't on the radio like they weren't you you hadn't had this kind of like you know whatever it was like the green day moment you know kind of post nirvana green day moment hadn't happened you know, the, the story goes that like, once those bands all hit, you know, if you were remotely punk, you were getting a major label deal, you know? And, you know, if you could play your instruments at all, you're getting a major label deal. I and mean, that's why you see bands like Sam I Am and whoever, I mean, but like, think about it. Like there's two full links around the same time from Sick of It All on a major label. You know, it's like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you know? especially like, that, like even, well, like Scratch the Surface was a major label yeah. record. And it's and, uh, heavier uh, than some of the other records. What's the, it's like Will, Will to Last or Built to Last. Built to Last is the other yeah. one. I'm not a huge Sick of It All fan, but I mean, Scratch the Surface is a great record. And like, um, I, I, you know, it's funny because again, like it's the same thing like that. I think I think those records were, I don't remember the time frame, but I mean, they, they at least Scratch the Surface, I think was out already 
by the time this Civ record hits. Because, you know, lose on, can't wait one minute more. And I mean, that was a, that was deliberate because he, I mean, you know, they were fans of him. And I think that, you know, he's a little older kind of New York hardcore guy, but like, you know, they were, I mean, they, that was a very deliberate thing, you know, it was like, this guy's already kind of catching some steam. And I remember like, you know, you'd hear, weirdly, you'd hear sick of it all on the radio, you know? I grew up in Florida too, which is like, it's kind of a weird thing. Cause I was thinking about this too, like that, that venue that I saw Civ open for the Toadies, Typo Negative played there like around the same time. And I mean, I remember Typo Negative was just like a, a radio band. Cause like they would get played on the radio all the time where I grew up. Florida at that time, especially was just like, I mean, I think it's, it probably has to do with the fact that we we're close to Tampa. I mean, it was two hours away, but you know, Tampa was such a massive metal scene. Florida always just had a really strong, heavy music thing. Yeah. You know, not, not, but a few years later, like Marilyn Manson comes out of Miami area. Like there's just like, I mean, there's bands like Jenna Tortures and, you know, all kinds of stuff that like, you know, I mean, those kinds of bands would always come to Florida because it was just such a heavy music scene. And so, you know, I mean, ministry, I remember hearing ministry on the radio you know, and typo negative and, and all that stuff. So it's like, it's, it's kind of a different thing than when you kind of realize like, oh, that's not how it was everywhere. You know, like they probably weren't playing typo negative on the radio in, you know, I don't know. Iowa. Yeah. And being, I guess being your age when you first heard it and when this was, I don't, and I, I think you were also not completely connecting the dots with like no, not at all. its connection with like hardcore, but I guess like looking back at it, do you know, or do you feel like kind of like hardcore kids, whatever kind of we're using for that term, uh, like got the record at the time, cared about it, or like how was it received overall? Well, it's interesting because like you mentioned the guy that sort of was like a baseball jock that was into it. I mean, there was a kid at my high school who, for all intents and purposes, only listened to rap from what I could tell, who one day showed up to school wearing a Civ shirt. And I was just like, what? Like, what is going on, you know? And I, and I mean, I remember asking him about it and him being like, oh yeah, uh, I saw them at some like radio festival in New York when I was back home, you know, visiting for the summer or whatever, you know, it's just like, and it, I mean, to your point, like they were kind of just a radio band and he was like, oh yeah, they're a cool band. I picked up a shirt, you know, like they're from New York, like it's cool in New York. And I mean, I just think that they did kind of have a moment. I mean, and it's just, that's how it was then, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I just wasn't plugged in enough to the like kind of purest rev hardcore world at that point to know kind of like how those types of people responded to this record. I do know that like, you know, all of my friends, we loved it, you know, and, and I remember my girlfriend in high school was like a massive Civ fan and she didn't really like hardcore music. You know, she wasn't really, I mean, she was really kind of a gothy she was really into like kind of industrial music and gothies, you know, the cure and stuff. So like, I, I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it just kind of transcended and transcended in that way. And like, um, I mean, but, but to that point, like, so we went, to, you know, I mentioned this Toadies show. It's the first time I saw him. Uh, we went to that show and I mean, the people who were there to see the Toadies, which is obviously most of the people that were there had no context. Like they just didn't, I mean, they, they were like, what is this band? You know, we want to hear the hit from Toadies and you know, what is this? Um, 
And I remember Siv standing just like, you know, because he wasn't at the signing. And I remember I I, re- I did know that he was in Grill Biscuits. And at that point, Grill Biscuits was such a like monumental. I mean, they still are, but like they were such a monumental band to me. And I was 16. So I like didn't have any sort of like social awareness of how to interact with people like that. And I remember seeing him in the crowd and like walking up to him and just being like, hey, man, like you're Siv, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you're in Gorilla Biscuits. And he's like, yeah. And just kind of like, I'm sure punishing the shit out of him, you know? But like, um, I, I I vaguely remember asking him, are you still straight edge? <laughs> and him being like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that, like, that was kind of the it, you know? But it was like, I mean, but at that show, the kind of funny thing that happened at that show is they played New Direction. And there's all these like, you know, radio rock moms that are like along the front waiting for the toadies so we can't get up close to you know sib to sing along or do anything and i mean we were probably like push pit or whatever dumb shit you do when you're 16 but like um they played direction and i mean we all lost our minds there was like i think there was probably 10 of us that just were like just our heads exploded and I just, I remember us crawling on top of these moms, like sing along with New Direction and, and, you know, them being stoked. I mean, I, I vaguely remember like the, the Civ dudes being stoked that there were like even 10 people there that like got it, you know, that like understood what was happening. And, and, you know, I mean, to me, it was just like, I'm seeing the guy who sang one of my absolute favorite songs, one of, that changed my life, you know, this is a this is a like life changing for me and i mean i i was just like you know climbing on top of these people trying to sing along and like you know they're screaming and hollering because they're like you know what is what are these kids doing what are these little teenagers doing you know but yeah i, I mean i think that that speaks to that same thing of like that lineage we're talking about where it's like they're showing up and they're playing a Biscuits cover and you see Girl Biscuits, i do a civ cover i think it does start to sort of draw that connection in that line you know yeah i i think what's kind of what always bones me out when thinking about this era of like these type of bands getting signed to majors is that when the record comes out, this record specifically, or any of the ones that we could put in that pile, like rival schools a a few years later and everything, um, they don't do, I guess, what these major labels expect them to do. You know, they don't sell the numbers I assume that they need. And then so they kind of just disappear. I mean, Civ got another record, but it doesn't, you know, it's not received. That record's uh, awful. Well, listen to that record. But, <laughs> but like, I made notes. There's two songs on that record that are worth listening to. And after that, it's like, I, I didn't listen to it. Cause I, well, I wanted to kind of like, just think about this one and not kind of like color yeah. it with something else. Cause I don't remember liking it as much. I mean, the record's awful. <laughs> it's awful. Um, and so, but it's, it's, I think what happens in hindsight is like, I wonder if like the members of Civ like feel like the band was like a failure or something because like it didn't do like a hundred thousand copies or whatever the number would be. Cause I feel like rival schools have that. And like, you know, it's like, they look back and like, that was a hard era and it wasn't successful, but it's like by, by revelation standards, any of these records would have been huge successes. Yeah. I mean, but it's also the context you have to think about as a guy who runs a label is how much money did they spend to get to that point? You know, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the difference, right? It's like Gorilla Biscuits didn't spend hardly any money probably, you know, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, they probably spent more than a lot of bands at the time, but they weren't spending, you know, huge amounts of money and in the, on all the ancillary stuff too, of like marketing and advertising and, you know, 
promotion and whatever else, you know, radio. And I mean, it, it just didn't happen. You know, it's like, Rev just wasn't that label. And I mean, to be fair, they're maybe not even still that label um, to this, you know, I mean, they're doing more of that stuff, but they're not, you know, they're not spending major label levels of money on anything. Yeah. Um, and, and nor should they, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but, um, but it is interesting. Cause like, that's a piece of it. I mean, the fact that, like I said, I had this, like, <clears throat> excuse me, I had this, like, uh, you know, 12 inch flat. That's like, that that was like a promo item that existed. I have a, a, a DJ 12 inch, a Civ DJ 12 inch. That's like, I think it's can't wait one minute more, you know? And then I think that it's like the, the B side is I think maybe an instrumental. I'd have to look, I, I, it's, I can go pull it out, but like, it's just, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't happen when you're not on a major, you know? And so, I mean, I think that they, so it's kind of hard to sort of, it's not apples and apples, right? It's apples and oranges a little bit to just be like, hey, like how, how you know, how successful is a thing comparative to how much you spent to get there. Um, this record sounds incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the reason I say it's the best hardcore record is because it's the most dialed production of any hardcore record ever. And it's that major label money that made that possible, you know, and so... Um, they could spend the time and, and money and, and effort that you get from the kind of budgets that you would get from a major label to make that happen. I mean, it, it, you know, the only other records I can think of that have that, I mean, those sick but all major label records are, are pretty phenomenal production wise. Um, you know, the Hey Breed records all sound great because they have yeah. the money like that teamed with the fact that these songs are really well written i think are better songs than sick of it all or hate breed right like and i mean no knock on either of those bands because those bands are really good but like the you know you you put this level of production with these songs and it's just like well who's ever going to do better and i and that's kind of again like in my brain the the fan fiction i've created is that walter was like it's a mic drop to some degree of like i'm not going to do better you can't do better so like i'm going to go on to do the next thing you know and um and and you know basically create another genre, <laughs> you know, like I kind of finished this one, made the best one, and now I'm going to go and make another genre entirely, you know? And so um, I just think that, that, yeah, I mean, I just think that it's hard to sort of like divorce that from it, you know, like, even though that, I mean, I, to that point, I don't know that the major label necessarily thought it was a failure because they wouldn't have given them a second record if they did, you know, you saw bands that did one record and were out, you know, um, a lot of bands got deals back then. I mean, just so yeah. many bands got deals that like didn't need to be on, had no business being on a major label, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think back to the swing revival thing. Um, <laughs> you can't look at pictures of uh Civ during this time with creepers on and those kind of silk shirts. And Guy Barras. There were a lot of Guy Barras. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, even the, the album art for the record too, really just like if you if i did, hadn't listened to it i wouldn't think that it's much different than like you know cherry papa daddies yeah i mean i think for sure they're definitely like i mean it's that era of like swingers the movie um you know there's definitely this kind of like butterfly collar 60s throwback kind of vibe um i mean to be fair if you see a lot of pictures of them like live pictures they're just wearing fred perry's you know and and i think it really was about that was some to, to some degree kind of the like playing up the fun aspect and playing up mm -hmm. the like, you know, we're like, we're a rock band, you know, like we're kind of trying to dress for the part. But I mean, to be fair, I think they just kind of wanted to look like skinheads. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, th I think like Into Another was kind of doing that where they'd wear really kind of flashy shirts, you know, I guess like anything. Shiny kind shirts of, and stuff. Yeah, very shiny shirts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, there's, yeah, just a sheen to it. So I think before I revisited this record, that's like usually what was sitting in my head, just like thinking about the promo pictures and thinking about kind of the way those couple songs on this record, I guess the kind of more singles, uh, really just don't feel like hardcore songs. Uh, but I but I would argue they do. I mean, I think if you listen to, you know, you mentioned Set Your Goals and you mentioned, you know, obviously the big hit is Can't Wait One Minute More, but it's like, I, I mean, they're just like poppy songs, you know? Um, I mean, I think, I think that it was interesting because when I was kind of like, you know, making my notes to, to talk about this record, I was, I was like, you know, it occurred to me, I was like, okay, when did Shelter Mantra come out? Same time, you know, it came out within a year of this. Uh, when did Hello Bastards come out? Same year. So it's an interesting context when you start thinking about it in those Yeah, two. I didn't even think about the Lifetime coming out because I almost would have thought that, that in my head that's like... Later. Late, yeah, it's it's like a different, it's almost a response to probably this era, but it's something I guess was happening that informed this well, shift. It's, 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 I mean, I think for Lifetime, it's turning point, right? Like that, yeah. I think you can make that, I think they would support that notion that it's like they, you know, you hear the melodicism that starts to get introduced in, in the New Jersey scene with turning point. I think in New York, it's, you know, Again, it's like Walter starting to explore melodicism in a way that he was already with Girl Biscuits and he's just taking it further. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think that those songs are, I think if you, you know, obviously it's impossible to do this, but I think if you divorce the, the aesthetic, like the visual aesthetic that they presented and what they wore, what the artwork looks like, you know, the kind of like swing vibe, and you just heard these songs straight up, you'd be like, those are just like poppy hardcore songs. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're just the, the drum beats. I mean, especially can't wait one minute more. It's like, it's just a, I mean, it's, it sounds like Sammy playing drums. Like he loves Tom heavy drum playing and it just sounds like a Sammy beat kind of, you know? And like, I don't, I just don't think that it's like a, it definitely has, I mean, those songs have like a kind of nineties vibe, but I don't think that it's like, I just would, I think it would be hard. I'd be hard pressed to be convinced that it's like, that that swing revival thing really played into the 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 songwriting. It definitely played into the aesthetic. And 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 again, when you're on a major label, like who knows how much of that's like the major label being like, you know, kind of having the same resonance with it that you're saying and being like, oh, this kind of sounds like you know, Brian Setzer Orchestra or whatever, you know, yeah. and like, and and being like, hey, let's you know, let's move it in that direction. But I also think that stuff was a little later. I mean, I think that that thing was happening. But I remember when I mean you know, again, dating myself, but I saw Swingers in the movie theater. I remember when that thing was happening. And that was, a, I want to say it was a couple years later, maybe, you know. Uh, well, like, when I was looking at, uh, I was I actually looked up when Zoot Suit Riot came out. Um, and it was in 97. So yeah, I was gonna say, I, years was nice from, movie, so, yeah. I mean, there were like, uh, you know, like Royal Crown Review and like Dance Hall Crashers, uh, which I guess more on the Scott end, but uh any of those things I could keep listening to them or listen, listing them forever. Uh, some of those were like, there was like one album I saw that was like in 92. So obviously it, it, that scene made big a little later. 
Yeah. So I just don't think that that's, I don't necessarily think that that was like a, an intentional sonic similarity. Like, I think that it was, how do you take what, you know, a song that is a hardcore song and make it a radio hit, you make it kind of, I mean, I think it has, I think you could make a, a case that these are pop punk songs more than you can make a song that they're swing songs, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, think I think when you, when you kind of add more melody into hardcore at some point, you know, it becomes something different, it's kind of not necessarily stops being hardcore. Well, I mean, think about the band that named themselves after this record. Yeah. You know, it's like, are they a hardcore band? No, not at all. Like, Set Your Goals is not a hardcore band. I mean, you know, whatever. They maybe make, they have a couple songs that maybe are kind of hardcore songs. And like, um, they're a pop punk band, you know? And I think that there's something about this record that because the hit is this really poppy song, because there are these songs interspliced within it that are poppy and lean kind of in a more pop punk direction that it's easy to sort of discount this record as a pop punk record but it's not a pop punk record i mean the vast majority of the songs on this record if you took out all of the songs that you could label as a pop punk song you've got a you've got a really solid album of hardcore songs you know and and i think also like the the pop punk songs aren't really pop punk i mean they're not they haven't sort of fully moved into that realm you know yeah the, the, where they, they, I feel like the uh, track listing is really well suited for the record, like, and just even things, even, yeah, even things like to the point of like how they sequenced it, um, like it, Absolutely. there's no stopping on this record. There's like the little kind of, you know, uh, marching goals kind of interlude, you know, that I don't have it on vinyl, so that might even be the end of like side one or whatnot. But even if you don't have it on vinyl, I mean, that's the thing is at the time, nobody had it on vinyl. Yeah. Like it was released on Rev and it was just, I mean, I think the original pressing is only like a thousand copies or something. It's not, I mean, it's not, it wasn't readily, they did not sell the bulk of them on vinyl. It, it was an era of CDs. And I mean, I had it on CD, you know, I think that it, I think that Marching Goals is a very deliberate, awareness of that to sort of almost create that moment of the side flip you know it almost is like kind of forcing you to have that sort of like you know part one part two and there's an intermission sort of of the like side flip of the record you know like i think that's really deliberate i mean i have notes i can go through every song and guess, try to is talk this about the it, point like, this might be the point where we go into talking about some of the track listing yeah let's do it let's do yeah. it I, I mean i have really deep thoughts about the 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 way that they did this i mean i think okay so like it opens to set your goals i think set your goals is a statement you know i think it's the obviously it's the name of the record i think it's the you know it's a tile track it's like i think it's sort of is what you're saying like is it's kind of saying like hey if you're coming into this with an awareness of who we were what bands we were in we're going to tell you that this is going to be different and this is the statement thing i also think that there's some phenomenal i mean throughout this record the lyrics are just so perfect but like the line in that song is like make more of life than a living like that's that's walter at his best you know assuming walter wrote those lyrics i mean whoever wrote those lyrics that's hardcore lyrics at their best right it's like that's such a like turn of phrase that is so simple but so meaningful that like when i heard that when i was 16 i had no concept of what that meant and when i hear it now it means so much and i mean to be able to do that and have something that resonates like that for this long is like I mean, that's what makes, that's what makes hardcore so great. The best hardcore that makes it timeless, you know? So even though it is kind of this more melodic song, like I still think it is really kind of 
bridging the gap between, hey, we're kind of a more melodic band, but we still have some hardcore roots. And it's got that lyrical content too. Yeah. I even think about, I mean, it's not really about like this track specifically, the differences between like what I would imagine like Walter would play this versus like Charlie. And I, I don't know if that's like Walter wrote it that way or if it's Charlie's interpretation of what Walter, you know, Charlie being Charlie through Walter, you know, cause like, I feel like Charlie is like a different player obviously than Walter is. Um, and so the guitar playing is like really kind of muscular, I guess, for like, for lack of a better way to put it then I would think Walter's approach would be, you know? But I think that, I, th I think you're right. I mean, I think it is probably some of that. I have a feeling that Walter played on us, you know? Like I, I would argue that, I mean, there's multiple guitar tracks on mm -hmm. every song. So there's obviously, you know, more than one guitar being played. Yeah. I would imagine that Walter played on this record. And I think that if you, again, put it in the context of, and we'll get to it kind of towards the end of the track list, but like, you know, he had done Moondog and you start to hear, I mean, he clearly is like a student of the purest of New York hardcore. I mean, he is a fan of Judge. He is a fan of Youth of Today prior to even being in the band. Um, you know, he talks about, I mean, you know, if you hear any interview with him, he talks about Ray and Porcel, especially Ray as like, just, I mean, he viewed Ray as this like godlike figure of like, you know, kind of the purest of the pure. Um, and so, I mean, he, he, he likes that. He likes that muscular sound. It just never was the thing that he did with Grill Biscuits because he had a very clear intent. I think if you listen to Moondog, which is hard to hear, you know, it's, I don't know if it's on YouTube or what, but like um, I had a bootleg CD years ago, but like um, he's, you know, I mean, Moondog is the, is his sort of like, you know, alone in the crowd or something, you know, like, alone in the crowd like it's it's you know him being like hey like i'm gonna i'm gonna get a little more muscular a little more tough with the thing i'm doing a little more angry there's you know there's definitely i mean it's angry and so i think that that carries into this i think you team that with the quality of the production and charlie being a part of that mix and yeah it gets a little bit more kind of like punchy in the face you know yeah um, and then i mean so then the next song is do something which, as I said, Girl Biscuits covered it. I'm, I would put money on that this is a Girl Biscuits song that never got made. And, I mean, it's, it's so good. <laughs> like, it's just such a good song. Like, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's a straight up hardcore song. Yeah, I think there's, there's always, like you were saying with Set Your Goals, it's, it's, there's always like people's first track that feels like it's like you're either in or you're out. And then almost the second track is like kind of the real first track in yeah. a way. Like it's like, it's like you kind of weed out the posers. And I, I feel like I've said this on the podcast before. And then the second track's like, we're in, you know, just like an intro really. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's also, like, the thing is every single song on this record, I don't think there's a single song on this record that's longer than what, like three minutes. I mean, they're all like two thirty, two fifteen. Some of them are half a minute, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, I mean, they're just so, they're all such blazing fast that I think even with that track listing sort of thing, it's like, you don't even have time to necessarily stop and think about it. Like by the time you're sort of under, like starting to wrap your head around what Set Your Goals is as a song, the next thing it's like, boom, you're getting hit with Do Something, which is a blazing hardcore song, you know? Yeah. And I think it's kind of one of those things where if I were 
if I were tracking, if I was putting this track list together, I'd say, okay, look, we're trying to kind of go for it as a band. We're trying to be a little bit more of a radio band, do this major label thing. You can't come out of the gate with a hardcore song. You know, it's yeah. just not going to, people are going to hear it and be like, no, I'm out, you know. But I think if you can get people to sort of see, okay, we're going to do something a little more melodic, but come with us on this journey. Now here's a hardcore song. You know, I think that that sort of sets up a, an interesting thing. And, you know, it, it may have been valuable for them to even put that a little lower in the track list. But I think as a fan of what they do, this is perfect. You know, it's a perfect kind of statement of, and I, and I would argue that almost every place, placement of a track on this record is a statement in context to the track before, the track after. And, you know, there's a, there's a real deliberate intent to that. I mean, yeah, we'll do something. It's, it's the epitome of what we're talking about of this notion of like, they have all this money to make it. I mean, you know, all this money, who knows, you know, they, more money than they probably had when they're on rev. Um, you know, they've got the resources to make this record that is, is more kind of textural and layered. And I mean, you listen to something like do something, it's, it's a hardcore song, but it also has like, I mean, I think there's like three or four guitar tracks, like maybe more, you know, there's, it's just, it's, it's, it's so intricate yet such a just kind of rudimentary hardcore song that it's like, you know, I, like the notes I made to myself are just like, you know, it, no, no part overstays its welcome in the songwriting. Like, it's like, here's a really cool part. Okay, cool, you've gotten that. Okay, here's a real cool part. Okay, you've gotten that. And, I mean, it just moves, it, it like doesn't let anything get stale. It doesn't revisit anything that sort of needs to not be revisited. I mean, it's just like, good part, good part, good part, good part. Okay, we're out, you know? And on top of that, you've got just, there's so much going on. I mean, guitars and like, one of the things that, that starts to be present in these Civ songs, and I, I want to give Walter the credit for it because it seems really production-minded, is and it, and it comes up. Um, I'll mention it later for some of the later songs. But like, there's just guitars that exist in the background that almost seem like they're not even there to be tonal instruments as much as they're there to be like, you know, like ambient background noise. And I think that that creeps that starts to creep in and do something as well. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I told you I'll nerd, man. I'll nerd. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good because sometimes uh, I feel like I'll just like so I I feel like I don't I'm not someone that uh, tends to go first to like the lyrics of a record. It will it'll take me a while. And if you you've had all of these years, you know, to kind of let this sink in. I know I have records where I do it, but you know, with the nature of the podcast, it's like I just simply can't. You know? Yeah. But I I tend to be like a music first, and even with the vocals, it's almost like another instrument with me so it's like totally that's where my mind is going first so i guess track three yeah so far so good so what yeah <laughs> i mean this is the one where i made the note about lifetime where i was like mm -hmm. think about this in the context as it's coming out the same year as hello bastards and it's like it's it's kind of doing the same thing you know it's like it's again one of those songs where you take it out of context and it's like, okay, maybe this is sort of like a schlocky, you know, radio pop punk song or, you know, swing revival or whatever you want to sort of tag it with. But like, I think that it's, I mean, it's just a poppy hardcore song. I like the song. I like it more. I mean, I don't dislike set your goals or, uh, cause I mean, one of the first things I liked before I really got into punk was swing revival stuff. Like, cause it was on the radio at the time um but you know it's yeah so i mean this song hits me more like i guess lifetime would um and it has less of like a swing to it but a poppiness of you know 
poppy hardcore. I mean, but I think that like even, and, and you know, I don't really have a lot to say about this song, but I think thinking about the next song being, you know, State of Grace, it's like, I mean, that's, State of Grace is like a brutal hardcore song. Yeah. I, I mean, think, I know like, so far so good. So what is almost just like a breather between. Yeah. You know, not that it's like a bad song. It's just, it's just kind of like, it allows you to catch your breath because if you compiled like all the hardcore songs, like it would probably be like one of the best hardcore records, like you were saying, but you know, it doesn't, you know, it's like, this gives it a little uh, more personality with the kind totally. of interplay. And I mean, tracks. It, like I, you know, I, my notes to myself about State of Grace are unreal hardcore song <laughs> and Sammy with three exclamation points. I mean, it's just the roles. I, my note is rolls upon rolls at breakneck speed. I mean, it's just him like, you know, roll, 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 roll. And I mean, it just, it, it doesn't stop. And I think, again, like the fact that if you, if you isolated State of Grace out and played it for somebody and were like, this is on a major label record, they'd be like, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's just a straight up hardcore song. Like there's nothing about it you can call anything other than a New York hardcore song, you know? And it's, I mean, it's just, it's so good. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, I, you know, like, I mean, I can't really even say, I mean, it's like, I kind of almost feel like I can't say much more about it. Cause it's just like, it's such a good hardcore song, you know? And like, I, again, like, I think if you played that for somebody that, and they didn't have the context for all this kind of like, you know, the aesthetics and the, you know, major label and all that stuff, you just were like, Hey, here's this hardcore band I really like. And you played it for them. They'd be like, Whoa, what is this? I want to hear more, you know? Yeah. I mean, I even want to think about, like let's say that song in relation to i guess grill biscuits as a whole like for as great as grill biscuits sound it there's still like a sloppiness to that record you know and a character to it that um this record doesn't have but in like a good way it's i mean it's a different thing i mean i guess that's we're just talking about major label records really but um but it's it's interesting that this manages to have its own character within it because what I always get scared of with the idea of like someone's major label record is kind of anything that makes a band kind of interesting before that's going to get sucked out with, you know, production. And, uh, and I think that's a really nineties thing. Cause I mean, you, you, these records are getting made pre digital recording. So, you know, same thing with, with like, I mean, I would say Dookie by green day is a massive sea change for punk music as a record that I don't even think at the time was necessarily apparent to everybody. Um, if you listen to Dookie compared to Kerplunk or whatever, like they're just different bands. I mean, they're just totally, I mean, it's, it's like just night and day because the, the production on Dookie is so dialed, but it, but I think it almost is like it, it, it made them better. But at the time, because that access to that level of quality recording was really about cost. It, it wasn't just a talent thing. It was a cost thing. You don't hear a lot of punk records that are like, I mean, you know, let's say anything pre 94, there's nothing that's a punk record that's recorded like to the same degree of, of tightness of production, high quality. I mean, it just, it just doesn't exist, you know, and, and even the most classic records, all suffer from being made in a little bit less resourceful ways. And so um, I think that there's at, a, at the time, I mean, this is also really, 
I think a big part of the Civ thing and, and the part of the legacy is I remember people saying, I'm not going to listen to Jawbreaker because Deer is on a major label. Like they're, they're dead to me, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, and that, and that, I remember that being a conversation even as late as like 98, 99. So that was very much a thing in 90, you know, 95, 96. And I remember it being a thing where people are like, this is on a major label. Like that's not punk. Like it's just, those things are so diametrically opposed. You cannot be punk and be on a major label. People, yeah. people really poo pooed, you know, uh, green day for that and so yeah i mean i think like what ends up happening is that it's like that was the kind of mantra not to mention shelter but it, even it, it applies to them it's like these bands kind of got dinged for being major label bands and then some of them kind of disappeared because i guess they broke up or the legacy didn't like push them forward the other bands that were able to push forward it's like a younger group of people can kind of recontextualize that and things like Civ never got the ability, in my opinion, to really, I feel like, be like recontextualized by a younger generation. So yeah. it feels like it's still, it still feels like it has a stigma of, well, it's just some major label thing that happened. And I feel like I did that when discovering the band and really, honestly, to the point of you telling me to rediscover it, you know? And uh, it's I mean, like, it's, it's there and I don't feel like I... I don't usually give a shit about those things, but it's hard to separate. Well, and it's funny because there's, that's not a thing now. Nobody gives a shit. No. I mean, Turnstile is on Roadrunner, which is the label that put out Mantra. Um, and, and now Roadrunner is much more of a, affiliated to majors than they ever were at the era of Shelter um, or, you know, whoever else they were putting out at the time. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just not a thing anymore. Nobody gives a shit anymore at all about it. And I think that um, it's really interesting because like, I think my affinity for this record is so strong that it's easy for me to sort of like not think about it in those terms because that never really kept me from enjoying it. But it definitely was a thing. It was definitely a thing where people were like, nah, I'm not gonna, that's not for me. And I, and I can only imagine that probably there's an ilk of slightly older hardcore kids who were present for Gorilla Biscuits that sort of, for the same things you're talking about have, have said like, this is poppy. It's not really a hardcore record. I mean, sort of in the purest of forms, it's not a, a, a hardcore record. It's on a major label. It doesn't sound like a hardcore record because I think, you know, it's kind of almost like the black metal thing of like, if the recording's too good, it's not black metal. You know, if the recording's too good, it's not a hardcore record. And I think that's that, the black metal. I usually, if I listen to black metal, at all, black metal at all, it's always those records. <laughs> the ones that are like sound too good to be a black metal. Record. Right. Exactly. I mean, same for me. Like, that's, I can't handle the, like, we recorded everything through the headphones reversed, you know, like whatever it is, like, that's the stuff I'm just like, I can't, I can't do it, you know, We're but just like posers, Sean. Yeah. I, I mean, we are <laughs> death to posers, but like, I mean, I think the, 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 you know, the, that, I mean, I think if, again, if you think about the context of like when this record came out, if every hardcore record you've heard up to this point, with the exception of maybe sick of it all, maybe if you want to put typo negative in that conversation, but for the most part, every, almost every hardcore record has been recorded in this very like uh, limited resource way and has this sort of aesthetic of like a little bit of a grittiness, a little bit of a looseness. This is going to sound like radio rock you know it's gonna yeah. this is gonna sound totally i don't i don't remember scratch the surface and i feel like i revisit it kind of recently i don't it doesn't go like this record you know like it it's it doesn't go for it yeah yeah it, and it, it sort of actually that record because i think because they had a lot more records to kind of lead them to it um it kind of is like almost a response to being a major label band 
it's like, okay, well, you think we're this, here's our heaviest record to date. And like, I remember when I first heard Scratch the Surface, like my brother bought it home on CD and I was like, turn this off. It hurts my ears. Like, you know, and it's, it's funny cause they're not like a heavy band in that capacity, but it, it's still like one of their heavier records, but it's one of their more major label records. I don't have the context for that, but to me, it, it, in my mind, it's always been the like trying to be Pantera records. <laughs> yeah. They're, like it's like Pantera is happening and or that kind of ilk of metal is happening and it's like i mean essentially all these bands being on major labels is people trying to sort of take things from the punk and hardcore scene and fit it into the mold of what's happening in a broader way musically i guess in a way it's like now that i'm thinking of it's like so civ saw it as kind of potentially like well if we're going to kind of branch out you know, because of radio or either just generally out of hardcore, which I think something Gorilla Biscuits wanted to do from the onset. It's like sick of it all set kind of look to metal bands and like, you know, Civ probably looked to slightly a more warp tour of the time aesthetic to exist. Second time I saw Civ was at Warp Tour. Yeah. The second warp Tour that ever happened. Yeah. And I think that context of the word, the phrase warp tour really like if you look at early, I mean you know this, so I guess I'm saying it to the benefit of the pod look at early flyers of warp tour as opposed to like what we know it to be today yeah i mean that year i saw rocket from the crypt civ fishbone sam i am uh 311 headlined um alcoholics who are like a hip-hop group um who else did i see um i mean it was it was wild it was like, like the one with like uh, maybe a year before or after it's like Jawbox L7, maybe Helmet. Yeah, it's the first year. So that the year I'm talking about, I went was the second year. The first year I was too young. I wanted to go and I couldn't, I have the flyer for it, but I couldn't go because I was like 15 and it was in Tampa and I couldn't, um, I couldn't, you know, convince my parents to take me to it, but it was um, Sublime, Quicksand, L7. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unreal. You know? Yeah. There, I mean, you know, I'm not like a big 311 or sublime person, but just even thinking about that, like if those are the vehicles to make everything happen, I think, you know, it's like those lineups are night and day to like what Warp Tour kind of became. <laughs> like it's. Well, and, and the, the week that I saw 311 at Warp Tour in the summer of 96 was their song i remember them on stage saying that their song down had literally just gone to number one like they had just found out like that day so i mean they were at the peak of the most successful that band ever was um you know i mean and and like even later on like i mean i saw you know not to get off on a tangent but warp tour in probably 98 i think it was 98 it would have been 98 or 99 i saw um, like, I mean, Limp Bizkit played, I don't like Limp Bizkit, but like they played, Eminem played, I think. Um, but then like Social Distortion played on that like 90s record that is okay. Yeah. Um, the Descendants played on Everything Sucks. Like, I mean, it was a, it was a good show, you know, and like the Descendants and members of Social Distortion did like a Black Flag cover set. You know, like, I mean, it was just, it was, it was cool and it was punk and like, yeah, Eminem and Limp Bizkit were there, but like, 
there was still a lot of really cred punk stuff happening at those shows. And so like, you know, I don't know. It's like, I think the last year I went, I saw Bad Religion play, you know, I mean, it, you know, it, it became still, still good. I mean, that's yeah, still man. like something that's worth, and even like onto, you know, Newfound Glory and stuff. Like, I mean, they were pretty later on, but that's still something that, you know, it's like legit, you know? Um, well, I mean, so it you know, does, you know. Here's the thing about Warp Tour. Like, I think it's easy to sort of say like, okay, well, you know, Warp Tour became a thing that, that those of us that are, you know, in our age range don't, you know, <laughs> don't, uh, you know, don't care about like kind of the later iterations of it. And obviously there's some, you know, kind of other sketchy shit that, you know, you can't yeah. avoid, but like, um, and, and criticism that's fair in that regard. But I think that like the point of Warp Tour was never to appeal to me throughout my life. The yeah. point of Warp Tour was to appeal to me when I was 16, 17 years old, and then I was going to age out. And it was going to, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Matthew McConaughey quote from, you know, days and confused it's like i keep getting older and they stay the same age like i think that's the whole point is like it's not supposed to be like work tour is not supposed to appeal to me as a 30 year old that would that's not what that was and so yeah the stuff that they're putting on it you know whatever the last year they did it, a couple years ago it's like it's appealing to 16 17 year olds and i don't have the same music taste as a 17 year old as a 40 year old you know yeah and, and i think like even when i i guess like trying to thinking about like civ too it's like you can only imagine, I guess, like thinking about the difference between Gorilla Biscuits and Civ, it's like they were older and it's like they, they, they just simply couldn't have had the same interests and they simply couldn't have wanted to be the hardcore band that Gorilla Biscuits were, their peers were at the time. So it's only natural that, you know, these records kind of went the way they did. Well, and I think we, I think we all want to th- assume that, you know, you listen to Start Today and, it, and it's rough around the edges. I mean, it's, I think it's one of the best hardcore records ever made. It's it's definitely in my top, you know, five. It's super seminal to me, like as far as my own entry into punk and hardcore music. Um, you know, on that pod, on that where it went podcast, they talk about like you know, cats and dogs is like that, and propaganda have made an entire generation or two of people be vegetarian, vegan, you know? And so it's like, I mean, they just have this really huge lasting impact. And I mean, there's things, I mean, there's harmonica on that record. There's, you know, horns. There's like, I mean, it's just such a different record. It stands out as such a unique record. The question is, is do we all assume that it sounds the way it sounds because that's exactly how they wanted it to sound? Or does it sound that way because that was what they could afford? And, you know, if you listen to the way they made that record, it's like they weren't, they didn't have the resources of like a major label. If you had given Gorilla Biscuits and given Walter the ability to make a record with the kind of resources that he had to make the Civ record, does it sound more like the Civ record? Does it have a more produced, polished feel? I think that's where we kind of have to like be like, okay, is it fair to say this record's so polished and it's bad and we want the purity of this kind of more rough around the edges Gorilla Biscuits record because they may not have wanted that. You know, they may not have, I would argue they probably Walter probably had he had the ability to make the record sound like the Civ record, he would have done it. It would have been closer to that. And so yeah, kind of knowing his trajectory as a musician, like I would say yes. And even kind of we keep mentioning the Where It Went podcast, kind of the way he talks about how they approached making the record and I mean, they did how many times they went. But yeah, that's like not something like the Judge Seven Inch, you know, did or you know probably even as much as they probably put into bringing it down. You know, I don't think Judge did that. They just weren't built to be that kind of band. Um, so it's like Walter, Walter, it seems like, you know, had to kind of put that thought into it, but yeah, resources is really the only different factor, but I guess like 
I guess going back to the track listing. Yeah. Uh, can't wait one minute more. I think we're on. I mean, you know, it's hard to sort of take this song in context. Like, I think it's just become such a, it, it is the statement of the record. It's the single, I mean, there was a music video. I saw it on MTV. Um, it's a cheesy music video of like, you know, it's this like kind of, I think it's based on Phil Donahue, not Jerry Springer. Cause I don't think Jerry Springer even really kind of started to be as much of a thing back then, but like, Maybe it had, but, you know, it's this kind of talk show vibe and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's hokey, you know, but I think, yeah. you know, look at any music video that's getting made, you know, it's like, it kind of is either too, you know, I think you look at like the uh, Dine Alone video for Quicksand and it's like, it's almost too artsy, you know, it's like, there's like, you know, it's all black and white and like you know it's just very like vibey and like i think that that this was just like hey we're trying to be a fun band like that was always the thing was it's like we're trying to be a fun band i mean it's the, that's the vibe with girl biscuits that's i mean they're called gorilla biscuits like this band's called Civ. like we're trying to be fun bands and like i think that um it you know that that video reflects that it was on the radio. I mean, I, again, like I, it's hard for me to say where, you know, other places, but in, in Florida, I mean, it was just like a radio song. Like it was straight up on the radio all the time. And I mean, even now, like it's been in car commercials, like as recently as a couple years ago, you know? And I mean, it was like, what, 25 years ago? Like, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's like a much later life. That was, that's in pretty recent history. It's like, I don't know, like Kia or something. I can't remember what. Nissan ad, I think. I mean, it was oh, in okay. a Nissan yeah. ad. Like, I, I, you know, again, maybe it was Kia, but like it, I mean, I want to say like two years ago, you know, like it wasn't that long ago and it creeps up. You'll hear it occasionally. I mean, it's been in commercials throughout the years and like um, it's just such a unique song. I mean, it definitely has, it embodies a lot about the nineties. Like, it's funny. Cause I made this list of like notes about every song and that's the only one I have no notes about because it's just like, you can't, I mean, what are you going to say about it? It's, you know, I mean, it has Lou from sick of it all on it. It's, it's almost kind of like, you kind of have to set that one aside and just say, okay, this song took on such a life of its own. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's still not, it's still not a bad song. It's like, it's not again, really it's, like, uh, what what tends to, I feel like a lot of these episodes what I end up doing is like as I'm talking through it or listening to this records almost make notes of which songs I would cut but this record is only 31 minutes long and like even including blessed which you know it, which is technically not I don't know we'll get to that we'll get there but you know like it's it's not long enough to me to do that and then even still because it still could be the case that I want to cut something on a not long record but I wouldn't cut those songs, even though I'm kind of talking down on them. Um, but I don't dislike them. Um, I th it's kind of more of like, I'm kind of making fun of the era. So I'm like, I'm making fun of like the Drew Carey show, I guess, you know, because it feels like it could be on the Drew Carey show, you know. Um, but but that doesn't mean I don't, I, I watched Drew Carey show. So, <laughs> but well, probably not. Um, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it is so interesting because like uh, this song in particular, I mean, even as we're looking at, you know, we've been talking about, it, it's like, it's like hardcore song, slightly less hardcore song, like purest hardcore song, slightly less hardcore song. I mean, they're definitely kind of taking you on this journey of like, you know, one for them, one for us, one for them, one for us, you know, and it, and 
I think that it, that up and down dynamic of the record is just so you're like, like you said earlier, catch your breath. Like you're like, okay, all right, calm my breath. Okay. Now we're going to, this is a little more mellow. Okay. Now you're going to punch me in the face again, you know? And it's in it. I think that that, especially the first half of this record really takes that model. Yeah. And you get to this song. I, I will say as a, as a matter of principle, I hate when the single for a record is in the first three songs. I, it's just, to me, it, it is a statement of how poor the rest of the record is. So the fact that this song is what the sixth track, fifth track, yeah, track, track five. It's like, that to me says how strong the record is, you know, because it's like you, you put the, the hit at five, you know, you got some good songs, you know, and you know, you're get, you're going to bring people along to, they're going to have to get through four other songs to get here. You know that those four other songs are strong. And I would argue that the rest of the record must be pretty strong too. And so, you know, I, again it's just like it you know it is the song that made them the success they were it's probably still makes them a lot of money um i don't necessarily think it's the it's definitely not my favorite song on the record and i mean i i think about this song the same way i feel about love fool by the cardigans i love the cardigans i think the cardigans are a pretty phenomenal band um and you know first band on the moon is a great record Love Fool is the least, my least favorite song on that record. You know, it tends to be that the records that have those kind of one hit wonder type songs on them, especially bands that have a little bit more of like a context beyond being the one hit wonder, the, the single tends to be the song that is kind of like, you know, it's for them, it's not for us. And I mean, I think Love Fool is that. I mean, Love Fool was like, you know, and not to sort of tangent off on the cardigans, but you, if you hear them talk about it, they don't talk fondly of that song. They're like, this is the song we kind of were forced to write that the label really pushed on us. And we wanted to be doing what we were doing. And I mean, if you listen to anything pre that album, anything after that album by the cardigans, none of the stuff that they've written really sounds like that song. It's such an outlier, but of course it's the song that, you know, makes them a massive, you know, worldwide success. I don't think yeah. obviously. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's like a lot of examples, especially around that time, of kind of like, you know, this track is gonna, yeah, you know, it's like it's almost like you're almost like gonna have to like please forgive us for this track. You know, I don't think they have to. I think that's kind of a dumb way to put it. But it's like there's there tended to be those songs on records. Like even when you think of something, even like I feel like Black Album by Metallica. You know, it's like I don't want to hear that song, but it's kind of hard to separate it. You know, oh, it's kind of really like, great, man. <laughs> but it's like, is Inner Sandman, is it, is it by factor of that I've heard it too much or was it always that? Or same way with uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. It's like, have I just heard it too much or is it on par with the rest of the- And I would argue Smells Like Teen Spirit is maybe one of the worst songs on that record. I would too, but no, I don't know if that's by fact of, you know, is that because I've heard it too much or is it just not as good as the other song? I think it's not I as good as those songs, but I think that, I think that what we're speaking about is is that the other songs. I mean, Nirvana, uh, you know, any number of these examples. I mean, the Civ record is an example of this. There's more going on, you know. Like, you're not going to territorial pissing is not going to be the song that gets people to like think Nirvana is the best band on the face of the earth. You know, it's like, I think it's a phenomenal song. It's 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 one of the songs I think that holds up the best, weirdly, but. You know, and I think some of the, I mean, I think Lithium's probably my, maybe my favorite song on that record. And like, that was a single, but it was the third single, 
you know, Come As You Are is the second single. Yeah, even well, thinking like, about like like the band Bush. Like yeah. I, I don't, I think I thought that they were a kind of a different band because of the singles. And then when I really dug into, you know, just like 16 Stone as a whole of a record, I'm like, this is a lot heavier than I realized. And I think I'm, I kind of did the same thing with like Civ. Like this is much more of a hardcore band than my brain was allowing me to because of like context that I carried over. And so like I've, I've tried, I guess with this podcast and just in my general life, it's like kind of revisit things that maybe were tainted by these. You know, I mean, things, you know. Take take the two good examples of that that I think are relative to this conversation about Civ. Take the the most poppy song on Hello Bastards or specifically Jersey's Best Dancers by Lifetime. If if you only had that song as the kind of entry point, whatever that I can't think of what that song would be, but whatever the like kind of like most poppy, least hardcore type song on Jersey's Best Dancers. If that was the only entry point you had to that band, would your opinion of the Lifetime be different? I think with Shelter, the really good example, and I, I, I mean, this is again, a very controversial opinion, but Beyond Planet Earth is a phenomenal record. And it's been scrubbed from history. It's not even on digital services. There's a ska song, which is awful. But Every song, especially the first half of that record, minus the ska song, are some of the best, if not the best, shelter songs that are not harker songs. They're they're more kind of the like pop rock vibe that they like they went towards. Um, but I mean, they're phenomenal. I think lyrically, it's some of his best lyrics. Um, but again, it's like there's a ska song, and so if you mention that record to anybody, you, you say, "Oh, Leon Planet Earth is a good record." They're like, "There's a fucking ska song, man. Come on." They're not gonna. They're not gonna buy that. And so I think it is that thing of like taking records as a whole versus that one kind of you know thorn that you can sort of look at and say, well, that's not. I don't. Yeah, you know. And so it's like you know, there's there's lots of. I mean, you know, especially in this era, so many bands were like, you know, were suffering for that. I mean, kind of hit famously, like even for Jawbreaker, you know. Uh, the producer who also produced that Green Day Dookie record, like he wanted to have them re-record Boxcar and put it on the record as an entry point for people to kind of have into the record because he recognized that that song had maybe like a life to be a radio song and, and whatever. And Blake was just like, absolutely not. And I mean, there's a recording of it on the reissue. You can hear it. It's good. It's not as good as the original version, but, um, but again, it's that thing of like, would Jawbreaker have maybe transcended in a way that Fireman as a single just could not be the poppy hit that Boxcar was. Like, Dear You is too intensive a record for average listener to engage with and understand. And I think there's a lot on this record that like, at the time, there was probably a lot of people that bought this Civ record and only listened to Can't Wait One Minute More, maybe skipped through the hardcore songs to get to the pop song. Conversely of that, or inversely of that, I guess, uh, you know, there's people who probably bought it and were like, I don't like these pop punk songs, but I'm going to listen to these hardcore songs. Yeah. And maybe they just didn't give it that chance, you know? Like trust slips through your hands. Yeah. So that's, I mean, so the, the really funny, you know, the, again, the folklore of this song is, is the intro. I didn't know this until much, much later, but the intro is apparently a live recording of Jules from side by side. And oh, it's, yeah. and it's a song about him. Apparently. I mean, he had a famously, famously had a huge falling out with, the bulk of the New York hardcore scene was sort of ostracized from, from the, the New York hardcore scene. Um, and, you know, that's, 
that's what happened. I mean, like that. So, so apparently the, the intro to this song is actually from Jules. And I don't know if it's alone in a crowd or if it's side by side. I, it, it may be alone. I think in it's a alone in a crowd. I'm not exactly sure because I'm not, again, I'm not enough of a New York hardcore nerd to like, know. but you know, at the time, I mean, when I heard it back in the day, I just assumed, Oh, it's just Siv making an intro to a song, but it's actually, it's, it's very, you know, very deliberate. And again, it's a very like egg, you know, Easter egg of a, of a thing where it's like, this song is about jewels and we're going to have the intro to the song be jewels introducing the song. Um, I mean, that's just such a like, I mean, that's a troll before trolling existed. You know, it's like, it's so good. And I think the outro is the same thing. I mean, it's from the same show. Or, or It's such a specific kind of diss track thing. And I, I don't know how much like real animosity there was and there might've been, but. I mean, the song is bitter. It's bitter. Yeah. And I mean, if you listen to Moondog too, like I don't know how much of the Moondog stuff is about that, but like there's some really bitter lyrics on that stuff too. And it's like, I mean, Walter has a dark streak and he has a really, you know, there's a there's a real strong sense of loyalty that I think is a part of that kind of New York hardcore culture that like, you know, Jules went a, went astray from. And I mean, this is a brutally bitter song. And, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I the other note I have is that the, the gang vocals on this song are just like so perfect. I mean, they the the gang vocal on trust, they, they just all yell the word trust. It's just so good. I mean, it's like, and again, this is one of those songs where it's like, it's just a great hardcore song. Like if you just yeah. play the song for somebody, they'd be like, what is that band? I want to know what that is. Yeah. I feel like if the, if, even if you took like a couple of them and just put the, it was almost like if this was like a found rev release, which is like some of the hardcore songs on it, like it smokes any of the stuff that people kind of hold up to like high regard, you know, like, yeah, you know, it just whips things like side by side, just, <laughs> You know, it, it's, it, I mean, it, it should be held to that regard too. Can, yeah. I mean, can you say that any of the hardcore songs on this record are not as good as anything Bold ever did? Uh, well, it's <laughs> hard because I'm a really big, I'm not really big Bold fan, enough to own a shirt, um, but everyone has the Bold yeah, shirt. Yeah, <laughs> so it's not saying much. Um, I think honestly it's, it's better because it, it knows more of what it wants to be than I think Bold did you know i'm not a bold fan so it's a, it, to me it's a little bit of a diss but i mean yeah. me dissing them to say that but um but yeah i mean i yeah i'm just like you know i i just think that you know these are it's a great hardcore song it's a great hardcore song it's a great diss track i think the fact that they use the intro of this the guy it's about i mean just come on like that's that's a hardcore record that's best. That makes it better is it because I don't think I I kind of forgot that, that it was and so it's like thinking that that was Civ, but then that makes it really confusing, you know. Uh but no kind of being reminded of that context like does make it such a good diss on jewels because like I'm like on one hand I'm like, well that that doesn't age well <laughs> what they're saying in it, but knowing that it's just straight up, it doesn't age well really for jewels more yeah, than I mean, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. I think he calls the crowd pussies or something. You know? yeah. It's like, yeah, it's probably not great. But like, yeah, I, de I definitely think it does kind of get that like a little bit of like, it's not the band saying that. It's it's they're kind of like pointing out how much of a, you know. I actually thought, because the only way that I've been listening to this is through like the discography. So I was, one of the questions I was going to ask is like, was this, a, so that was on the original CD, that soundbite. 
Okay, because that's kind of strange because I would think that a major label might be like, this doesn't... Not in the 90s, man. People were still using it. doesn't yeah. mean anything. You know, like, it's like, who are these people? I would feel like if I was a major label rep, I'd be like, can you take that part out? I get why it means something to you. It's just, it's... I mean, it's... I, I think that that's the people 90s. People loved skits. People yeah. love skits. <laughs> and, like, I don't think that the, the you know, using the P word is going to, you know... No, not in the 90s. Not <laughs> I mean, there's nobody that's, I mean, there's probably people who were offended. There's nobody who's at the, in 95 or whatever was going to be like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's not the context of the time. Yeah, no one that didn't like sit down at a hardcore show at the time yeah. wasn't going to be offended. Yeah, I mean, Fugazi's not going to get on stage and say that, but like, yeah. you know, and probably would, you know, turn their nose up at most of this, if not all of this record, you know, but, um, but I do think that like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, but I, I again, I, 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 maybe it's a little bit of revisionist history, but I do feel like it is like, okay, you're, you're acknowledging that like this dude's kind of a shithead or, you know, that was the, that's the, the thrust of it, right? Like whether Jules is a shithead or not, I don't know. But like, you know, uh, I saw the alone in a crowd reunion. He seemed really nice. It was good. Yeah, I think that probably it's like time, you know, I guess time heals all wounds. You know, People it's like argued in front of the Supreme Court now. So I think he's probably moved on. But like, yeah, as a maritime lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, I think at the time, like this would, you know, that, that would have flown. It would have been fine, you know? Yeah. And I guess, do you have any opinion on gang opinion? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I specifically called out a lyric and then I think it speaks to something that they were talking about on that, on that other podcast. I hate to keep referencing the podcast, but it's so fresh in my mind. And I think it, I listened to it partially to prepare for this. Cause I think that there is a lot of context that matters. You know, one of the things that Walter says on that podcast about Civ is that there's lyrics, I mean, they all kind of say this, but like there's lyrics that Civ can deliver in the way Civ delivers vocals that he can get away with saying some things that are kind of cheesy, but he makes them anthemic and he makes them like, kind of like, there's these like quick turn of phrases. I mean, I, you know, I mentioned like the, you know, whatever, make more of life than a living from set your goals. Like there's these little kind of cliche one-liners that he can throw in that, I feel like if anybody else did it, it wouldn't work. Um, and, you know, I think the example of that in gang opinion is drunk on approval, you don't even drink. I mean, that's such a good lyric. And it is a very specific thing. And it's, it's something that we can all, again, like the average person hears that on a record and they're like, somebody doesn't drink. Okay, weird, you know, but like, we understand what that means. We understand that that's a, a dig at somebody who's straight edge, but it's, it's, it's a really insular reference for those of us that understand what straight edge is listening to this record. And the vast majority of people that probably heard this record didn't know what that was. So it's it's the fact that he can deliver that line, that there's this kind of extra meaning for those who are kind of in on it. And also that it's such a kind of cliche jokey line, but it also is like, I mean, it means a lot. It carries a lot of weight. And I think it still is something that if you hear that lyric now, you're like, yeah, man, truck on approval, you don't even drink. Like how many people can we point to and say, that's exactly that person in a shorter phrase than I could ever come up with on my own, you know? And, uh, you know, this, I feel like this part of like the record kind of goes into kind of like the hardcore songs, like just back to back. And like, uh, I, I mentioned it more at the top, but I can't stress it enough. Like the idea that they, you know, just like when they were sequencing the record, just kind of making sure there's not like that big of gaps, you know, cause like there's a lot of like CDs, albums around this time that I feel like it's like songs over one, two, Three, and you're like, why? Like, what the fuck? Come on. Like, let's keep, 
let's keep the energy up even if you're a slow band it's like bleed into another song make me feel like it's a record like those are like such simple things that i feel like people can do on a record and they do it all here so. and i can't i can't i'm not a person who can hear like chords like i don't hear like oh that's a b flat or whatever you know but it does feel like that this record has a lot of sort of like musical connectivity between songs that does sort of like feel like it's like okay this is a very deliberate tone carryover from this song to this song you know um and i think the other thing i mean to that point of that kind of production-y stuff is like on choices made like uh or i'm sorry on uh on on gang of or yeah i guess choices made the next song after this like you know the 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 chorus like is so the gang vocals in the chorus are like in tune like it's not just a group of guys yelling in a room it's in tune like if you listen to the gang vocals they're like actually singing notes which it's like i don't know of a, i mean i don't know of a record this early that's doing that or ever you know like where it's like everybody is singing the the actual notes of the part you know and it's just like it's kind of this bridging of like the kind of pop end of what they're doing with the hardcore like we're going to have a bunch of people yelling at the same time and like that crossover is is pretty cool you know and so i think that like you know I mean, and, and, you know, I sort of seamlessly moved into Choices Made, but I think, like, to me, this feels like the closest song to Here We Go by Shelter, which was definitely, like, Shelter's kind of going for it song on Mantra. Um, they're very sonically similar, you know, and I think that um, it is that kind of, like, we're taking hardcore and turning it into something else, you know. Yeah, it's a great Shelter song. Yeah. It's a great Shelter song. Great lyric. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, do you, I mean, any thoughts, like, more on choices made or into solid bond i mean i think solid bond again like it's a perfect hardcore song i think it's it's just so great i mean this record is full of cliches and like full of like i mean solid bond choices made state of grace like i mean it's just it's a very like you know trust slips through your hands like it's just so like almost a caricature of what hardcore is but it it's so i mean it's kind of what we were talking about earlier it's like it's standing on the line of being a cliche and it's just this side of it in a way that it's like perfect. You know, it's like, you're yeah. never going to, it's, it never crosses that line. I don't think, you know, and I think that solid bond is a really good example of that where it's like, it steps right up to the line of being like a caricature of what kind of anthemic hardcore is without failing the, the, you know purity of it and i mean i also my note is breakdown is perfect <laughs> i mean yeah. the breakdown of the song is just i mean and it, it as with every song on this record it's short it's to the point nothing overstays its welcome and it's just like boom 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 here's the parts that are good and i mean i think that's why all these songs are so strong is that like individually they're all really strong songs but you pile them on to each other and it's just like here's a really great song here's a really great song here's a really great song and none of them to that point of like you're trying to catch your breath or like there's no sort of pause even keeping the energy level up it's like even within the songs that doesn't happen like you don't have like parts of songs where you're like okay we're back at this again like i just i'm waiting for that breakdown to happen it's like right as you're kind of getting to the point where you're like i really need something to change something really dramatic changes and the breakdown happens you know and it's it's just i mean it's so masterful in that way that that's that's presented that I think yeah, and, yeah and you, i think about what you were saying in terms of like kind of like having songwriting cliches um and, and based on the fact that you like this record and other things like shelter 
it's like uh, i i hear people say that as like a diss you know sometimes like it's like oh it's a songwriting cliche but i'm like that's what songs do you know it's like it's like that's what you know these cliches exist and it's like there's only certain there's only so many ways to kind of write about something like if you want to take like i want to hold your hand by the beatles and then kind of like how many other songs are basically about holding someone's hand it's like we're going to continue to do that there's certain human elements that will do it you know i think it's like there needs to be new ways that you kind of invert the cliche or present the same cliche but you know for people to just kind of go that's a cliche and like throw it on the fire or like you know it feels like the same as like when someone says like oh it's just a grunge band or whatever kind of thing and then i'm like but you're really like you're missing out on a lot of elements by just throwing it into a pile you know um, yeah and i think it's it's easy with like kind of revisionist view of it too like to look back on things and say oh well that you know that was that or you know like i mean i'm I'm a big pearl jam fan especially early pearl jam stuff like i think second third record especially are phenomenal and like um you know it's one of those things where it's just like how do you um how do you convince somebody the pearl jam's a good band when they all they know is like jeremy you know and it's like they've probably never even heard a song off vitology maybe you know like or or versus i mean it's kind of the same thing it's like you talk to somebody about civ they're going to be like oh yeah, yeah yeah i've heard that song i know that song you know you know can't wait one minute more i get it not for me you know but it's like you're not they're not going to get to solid bond they're not going to get to some of these hardcore songs that are just you know great and i think that it is that sort of like you know what we're talking about with Bush or any of these bands where it's like, it's easy to sort of discount a thing, especially in looking back on it and, and not looking at it in the context too. Like, yeah. I think like while people will say cliche, like sometimes it's like, well, maybe use a different word. It's like cliche might also be someone else's earworm. You know, it's like, yeah. And I mean, I love things. Copies. It's like allows you to know what the song is and maybe there's something world changing you can write in the verse, but sometimes the chorus really just needs to be like, some you know <laughs> well i i think the, i think the lesson of songwriting in this is that the reason that these songs aren't cliches is because they don't overstay their welcome it, it's like very few songs need to be longer than three minutes long you know it's like and and anytime that you know a song is longer than three minutes it's like justify it justify why it needs to be this long because especially in the realm of punk and hardcore, but even as we get, I mean, and you know, this is sort of like the, the, a, a constant argument these days with TikTok and like the fact that you can only listen to a minute of a song on TikTok, but it's like, you know, why does a song, I mean, as a, as a person who got into music through punk, why does a song need to be five minutes long? And there are five minute long songs, six minute long songs I love, but they justify themselves, you know? And I think that just because you have cool parts, you don't need to revisit them. And I think that's part of what makes these, especially the hardcore songs on this record, the kind of purest hardcore songs on this record, I think that's what makes them so great is that they're not, they're like, you're going to get this breakdown and that's it. We're not going to come back to it. You don't need to come back to it. It's not, you know, we're not sort of like relying on any one part of the song to carry the weight. They all have equal measure of how much weight they carry and, you know, each one is important and we're only going to do it once. I mean, there's a lot of very linear songwriting on this record that's like, you know, we're not going to revisit things. We're not going to go back to things. We're not, you know, especially in the hardcore songs. And I think even in the, the, I think that would be my criticism of Can't Wait One Minute More is that 
it's the most kind of formulaic kind of A, B, A, B, bridge, A, B, you know, like type song on the record. All the other songs kind of stray from that. And I think that's what makes the other songs the stronger songs. Yeah. And I feel what's funny is I feel like there's been so many episodes already of spinning out where I I pushed against the notion that songs shouldn't be over three minutes and kind of been like, I think sometimes it's good. But I will say in terms of when you write songs like this, you know, it's not beneficial to just kind of keep going back to the chorus, like, uh, you know, and to kind of criticize another band I cover, like, I feel like then you get into things like Sunny Day Real Estate, where I feel like those songs are even better at like three minutes as opposed to five, because all they're doing is going back to the A or the B, you know, and the same thing like Metallica would do on a seven minute long song. I think, I mean, I think, you know, one works. It justifies itself, yeah. you know, and it's what, eight minutes or something, nine minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's going somewhere. You but know? it's going somewhere. It's telling a story, and there's a there's a progression. And the end of the song is phenomenal, right? Like the end of the song is where the, the real meat is, and it's got to get you there. It's got to build you to that point where, like, when that hits, you've you've been anticipating it so long that it hits so much harder than if they just came out of the gate hitting you with that. That's just kind of how it is. Um, I think that. but again that justifies itself i think in the context of like you know almost anything like i mean sunny real estate's a good example of i love sunny day their songs are too long they're just too long and they just they can't they don't have have that sense of editorial you know oversight to be like we can cut this down and make it a better song and i think that they would have succeeded as a band and i i like rising tide a lot and i think rising tide is probably the record that they they understand that the most and even then i think they still suffer a little bit for it but like i mean fire theft i think is another good example where they start to understand that like um you know like the song heaven by fire theft is like to me the best fire theft song and like it's short by comparison you know and i think it is that sort of like it's almost funny because it's almost like that's a song where I'm like, I wish it was a little longer, you know? And so I think that it, it, it does show that they like learned that lesson, maybe too late, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that brevity is great. And I think if you can, I mean, even just like, you know, you're talking about the Beatles, like if you're talking about any of this stuff, like these people didn't write six minute songs, like they didn't write five minute songs. And like, I think it takes a lot to justify being a five minute song you know, and, and if, you know, I think it's a really good challenge for songwriters to say of any genre, especially any kind of guitar based genre, or even pop to say like, what can I get done in three minutes? Can I, can I get my point across in three minutes? I think if you can't, you got to go back and kind of figure it out because, you know, I think you have to be able to justify the three minutes before you can justify the five minutes, you know? I, I, yeah, I don't disagree. And I you know, I guess it's like, yeah, I don't disagree. I, I think like if you really are looking at like why, like it, as I've progressed as like a songwriter, I feel like it's like, does this need to be six minutes? Is something like you know, we we've thought about and try and recorrect, but then sometimes we're like, but sometimes six minutes, sometimes a thing can be, but it's to go on a tangent. It's like it's not these songs. Yeah. No, you know, no. There's nothing that needed if something was five minutes, they're doing It'd be an outlier. And it would be it would it would lose your attention. Whereas you don't there's nothing you I mean, you get to the end of this record and you're like, wait, it's over? Like what? You know, it's it's just blazes by. Yeah.
Are you stuck at home and need new records, but it doesn't feel safe to venture out, or you don't want to support big box stores? Go to lunchboxrecords.com for the best new releases and a whole lot more. If you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can do safe pickup, but if you live elsewhere in the United States, they'd be happy to ship to you. At checkout, just enter discount code SPINNINGOUT for 10% off. Come on, you love new music, so trust me, it's easy. Welcome back. Okay, that was part one. Part two of the chat will drop on Thursday. We pick up right where we left off and discuss the second half of the album as well as other pieces of Civ-related lore. Like I mentioned at the top, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can get the whole episode right now. So that's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Thanks again to Sean for joining us, but you'll hear more of that in a couple days. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to rate and review wherever you do that sort of thing. Thanks to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme music. See you on Thursday for part two. Hit the theme! <laughs>